The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Courtney, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? All right. My name is Courtney Kelly. I have two first names, so some people call me Kelly. Completely okay if you do. Um, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I currently reside in Dallas, Texas. So uh, when I was about 16, Hurricane Katrina hit. And I decided to become a civil engineer, which ultimately led me to studying civil engineering at SMU. And I have a degree in civil engineering and math in undergrad, a master's degree in civil engineering. And I recently finished my MBA from Lamar University down in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, so that's a bit about my education. Um, what do I do now? Uh, a couple of things. First thing is I am a construction project manager. So I've been working on what's deemed heavy civil construction projects for the past 10 years. And those include things such as uh, airports, roads, bridges, and underground utilities. So all of the things that a society needs in order to thrive, right? Wherever you are today, you drove on someone's road that was paved. There's probably utilities underneath it. And a lot of those things you don't want them to break fail. So that's what I focused on for the first 10 years of my career. And most recently, I've switched to what's considered commercial construction. My first project was actually at my alma mater at SMU, and it was the renovation of a 95-year-old residence hall, which I happened to have moved in 14 years ago when I first started at SMU. So it was like an episode of Fix This Old House. Uh, most recently, I'm at another university, Texas Women's University up in Denton, Texas, doing some renovation projects on that campus as well. So that's a little bit about my my official career. Um, I have a couple of side things that I do, uh, one of which I'm super proud of. I recently became an author with the publishing of Celeste Saves a City. It's a children's book about a little girl named Celeste who grows up in New Orleans and has to evacuate because of Katrina. Sounds familiar? Yeah, <laughs> it's my story. Um, so I... Uh, just like Celeste, Celeste ends up growing up to become a civil engineer, and she saves the city from flooding by restoring the wetlands along the coast of Louisiana. So that's my author wing. I also bake treats for rabbits. I'll say that again because people usually don't like catch it the first time, but I bake treats for rabbits. Um, so I have a little bunny. His name is Albus, A-L-B-U-S, like Albus Dumbledore. And I sell treats to other bunnies and <laughs> their bunny parents. <laughs> 
That is impressive. My goodness. You, you, you have a lot of things going on and everything that you do is at such a high level. And so let, let's continue to set the stage, Courtney, because with your incredibly diverse background, um, not just with the, the engineering and the project management, and but also your entrepreneurial wing, you're, you're having difficult conversations all the time. Uh, can you tell us what those difficult conversations look like in the, uh, in the construction world that you're having? Yeah, so construction is very, um, it's a very high paced environment. You have a lot of different stakeholders, right? You have the person as the owner who will ultimately inherit the facility as you're building. You have subcontractors, you have your own internal folks. And there's a lot of conflict that, that occurs. Um, a lot of times we're, we're dealing with, uh, situations where someone has designed something on a sheet of paper and we go out in the field and we try to build it and it doesn't necessarily jive with what's on a paper. And so we have conflicts about constructability. And who's uh, responsible for resolving that conflicts? Uh, there are a lot of conversations about money, right? Uh, a lot of construction companies, most of the ones that I know, are a for-profit organization. So everything that happens has to get paid by someone. You're either going to eat the money yourself and and kind of take the loss, or you're going to try to get that paid by the owner. Uh, so sometimes those conversations can be pretty tricky because the owner is like, "Look, I only have." you know, $500,000 to pay for this. And we're like, well, it's going to cost 750. Like, what are we going to do about it? Um, so you have to use different tactics and strategies to get everyone on the same page and to really get to a point where um, there's a, a kind of win-win situation because you don't know what the status of the projects. You don't know um, what's going to come next in the future. So a part of it too is building relationships across the board uh, to ensure that when those conflicts arise, um, you can walk away from them. And when you get into the next arena with that same person, uh, they aren't looking at you like, man, I really don't want to deal with that person again. And, and let me just go to the next person. This is great. And there, there are a lot of gems that you had in your response there, but I want to really zoom in on this because the sequencing is important because mm -hmm. you said we want to make sure that we're building relationships so that when the conflicts arise and those are inevitable, we have a good relationship. That's a foundation. Cause I think a lot of times what ends up happening is that conflict arises and then you say, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to build relationships and build mm -hmm. rapport and things like that. And we try to do it when the conflict has already arisen. But what you're saying is like, this is a, essentially a prophylactic measure beforehand. We're really focusing on the conversation on, on the relationship with the other side. Can you, Paint a picture of what that looks like for you. Yeah, so it actually starts uh, in construction well before we ever win a project. We're trying to build relationships with all of those future stakeholders uh, when there really isn't anything that either party is necessarily going to get out of it immediately, right? There isn't like an immediate return on on this investment. Um, so that starts with um, just trying to get to know people on a very personal level and um, what we like to consider deep relationships. So not just knowing someone's name or where they're from, but knowing about their family, knowing about uh, their likes and dislikes. Actually, like, trying to become friends with them because you guys know if you're friends with someone it's harder it's it's easier to get through some of those harder times together than it is with a stranger right and if you you're talking to a stranger it might be easier for you to say later like hey well I don't really care about this person because I don't really know this person and so we start off with the intent that I'm gonna develop a relationship with whoever it may be and um, start working on that from the get-go so that by the time we actually get to the point where we're signing the contracts, great, everybody's celebrating. And then like a week later, they're like, oh, you guys are behind schedule. You know, nobody's throwing up their hands. It's like, 
oh, you're behind schedule, but I know that you'll get us to the finish line. So I'm not worried about it because we already have a relationship established and I trust you and I trust that you're going to treat me with respect and you're not going to do anything that's disingenuous. This is just a hiccup and we're going to be okay at the end of it. Yeah, that's great. And and really the key word there is trust, because the more trust you have in the relationship, the more resilient it is in the face of conflict. And there's no real magic behind it. The, the magic is just psychology. It's just repeated positive interactions with the other person. And how do you like what is the main thing we're trying to show? It's we're just trying to show that we care. Like that's mm-hmm. all friendship is. It's two people who care about each other. And that's that's really it. And when you just say, I'm trying to become their friend by caring about the things that they care about. They have a family, they care about that. Let's talk about it, right? You have interests, you have hobbies. That's something you care about. I care about it too. Let's talk about it. Like it's, it's really that simple. And I think the, the, one of the keys is recognizing that you have to make that investment, even when there's mm-hmm. nothing transactionally that you can benefit in that moment, because I think that makes it clear that it's a bit more genuine too. Yeah, that's totally it. Yeah, this is this is great. And one of the things that you mentioned, um, one of the revelations that you had with these conflicts is that they're often a lot easier than you anticipated. Can you tell Mm -hmm. the listeners about that? Yeah, I think especially um, early in my career, I didn't really get it uh, or understand it to be the same way that I do now. And I thought that everything had to be a battle. Like, all right, we're going to war. Like, let's let's get our ammo and like prepare in advance, you know, for this for this whatever whatever conflict it may be. Um, but now I'm realizing that if I one assume there's going to be conflicts, and two um, go in with the understanding that. Whoever's on the opposite side of the table, there's something that they're after. There's something that's motivating their decision making. Maybe it's their supervisor is um, hounding them for a certain deliverable. Maybe it's they really don't have the money and they're not going to tell you that, but, you know, they're just going to keep arguing and challenging you. The quicker that I was able to, and the quicker that I am able to figure out what is the motivating factor behind their decision-making and behind the um, demeanor at which they're uh, handling the situation, the quicker I can realize how I need to pivot, how I need to change my strategy. Maybe I've been saying, well, you know, I need this money for this. And instead I need to say, you know, I need this money, but let's work together through this to figure out how can we make this happen? Um, So really trying to put myself in their shoes and uh, see it through their eyes. And then knowing that information, what resources do I have between me and my team to kind of come to the table at a place where they can go back to their supervisor and be like, look, this is a situation. They're working on it. Here's how they've helped me get to a yes. And then it makes everybody look good at the end of the day. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. Absolutely. And it starts with that mindset shift, because like you said, at the beginning, you were saying, all right, we're going to war. That's what it's about. You have that really that combative mindset. And that's just called being a human. 
That's, <laughs> that's how we are kind of designed to think just psychologically. That's how we think about it. And then sociologically too, when we think about how society views conflict, it's usually, um, it's a you or me proposition. I win, you lose. Those are the options, right? But then you realize, no, this is a problem solving endeavor. We can try to make it a win-win by figuring out what it is that you need and what it is that I need and how those overlap. And a lot of times if we signed a contract, our interests are aligned. It just feels like we're against each other when conflict arises. And so when it comes to recognize, recognizing that and getting into that mindset, how were you actually able to say in your head, Courtney, all right, this is the mindset shift I need to make in order to make these strategic changes at the table? So I try to kind of read people very well. Um, and it's a little bit harder to do through email, of course, but especially we can have a face-to-face conversation. I'm picking up on clues from that person. Um, do they get a little bit um, anxious when I use certain words when we're talking about that specific situation? Do I hear something from them that they're telling me that I'm not really listening to? Um, I might be picking out a paint color and they keep saying, well, you know, we really want to stick to the traditional look, but every time that I bring something to the table, it's a modern look. That's me not listening. That's me not understanding what their motivating factor is. Again, there may be a reason why they have to make certain decisions. So I really try to um, use emotional intelligence <laughs> for lack of a better term to uh, to get a better understanding of, of what that person is, is uh, getting at. And then, um, also, if I don't get the answer or the results that I'm looking for in a timely manner, that's usually uh, kind of a trigger point. Like, hey, this is not going in the right direction. Let me figure out what do I need to do to pivot, to turn the ship around so that it is going in the right direction now. And so that could be I've sent somebody, you know, two emails and they've been really nasty replies. Okay, that's enough. Time to have a face-to-face conversation with this person uh, or a phone call with this person and get down to the bottom of what's going on. Um, and we're having, um, we, we call them OACs, but owner, architect, contractor meetings. If I notice that somebody's kind of like snubbing me in an OAC, all right, after that meeting, let's go up to them and see, hey, what's going on here? Is everything okay? And so part of it is understanding the person, part of it is understanding the situation and being more reactive sooner than letting it kind of play out. Um, because usually it's not going to play out in your favor or it's not going to play out in your favor as well if you don't uh, kind of get to the, the problem quickly and try to resolve it. Yes, this is so good because what you're recognizing is that we have to make those pivots as necessary, but you're going to make those pivots based on the read that you're making. And it's so funny, no matter what industry that we talk about with negotiation, conflict resolution, human interaction, emotional intelligence is going to be a part of it. I don't think many people, when they look at the construction industry, they say, okay, you know, emotional intelligence, (laughs) that's going to be the separating factor, but it is because we're still all humans. That's what it comes down to. And I think it's going to be really easy for people to focus on the, 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 the scope of work, the Mm -hmm. money, the time, um, whether or not we're delivering on time, all of those things and focus on those, like the numbers. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, it's still people at the end of the day and emotional intelligence is really what, what separates. So that's, that's just like refreshing to hear that in every single industry. And one of the things that you mentioned is you recognize that at some point you're going to need to adjust your strategy based on the reads that you're getting and then recognize sometimes if things aren't changing in a timely manner, that's a signal to you. How mm-hmm. do you know what the right time is to make an adjustment? 
I mean, honestly, this is probably going to sound like, I don't know, whatever, but I just kind of get a feeling for things, like almost like a sixth sense. It's like, all right, something's not right here or something is not going the way that I need it to go. It's time to pivot. And so it's something that I can necessarily tangibly like say, okay, at this point in time, in every conversation, conflict, X, Y, Z happens. It's just um, I'm talking to someone and I start getting this feeling. And usually if I get that into it, I guess we'll call it intuitive um, understanding of something being up or something being amiss, then I'm like, all right, let's see something about it. Um, if everything's hunky dory and I'm not getting those like bad vibes and I'll just keep going, you know, the way that things have been going. But usually I get some type of indication like things are not going okay. It's time to to do something different. Love it. And that was the answer I was hoping you were going, going to give <laughs> okay. because I think a lot of people listening would say, okay, what is the signal? What's the sign? Should I wait mm-hmm. three days? It's 17 hours. Uh, what, what is the number? There is no number. No, but there isn't. <laughs> that, and that's what makes it tricky. But also that's the thing that should encourage all of you. Like, there's nothing necessarily special that some expert negotiators have that you don't have where we have these objective metrics to go off of. A lot of it is intuition and feel. But what you're hearing from Courtney is, is that, listen, like I feel something, I, I'm sensing something. I don't exactly know what it is, but I know that I should do something about it. Like the, the solution is always proactivity. It's either changing your strategy or just getting curious, asking questions to figure out what is like, what is it that's coming from them? That's giving you that, that feeling, but something needs to be done. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is we get that feeling and we're like, Hmm, I'm reading something. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I'm going to do nothing about it and and like kind of let the negotiation happen to me. Yeah. That usually doesn't work out well (laughs) because then something, (laughs) something big blows up and it's like, man, if I had done something when I first got that feeling, I probably could have mitigated this situation. Exactly. And again, it just, we have to be proactive, but it, it speaks to what it is that we talked about earlier, where you said a lot of times it's a lot easier than you thought it was going to be. And that's because as we're seeing in this interview, you're very good at being proactive and addressing things when they're not that big of an issue because mm-hmm. problems grow if they're not, if you don't attend to them. So one of the things is we have to jump and take action, even though it might be scary, but the faster you take action, the more proactive you are, the more manageable the conflict is. Yep. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. No, this is good. Now you're coming into this field. It's a very technical field. You have a lot of experience, um, but you, you said it, you've described yourself as a spotted unicorn (laughs) in your industry. (laughs) Tell the listeners uh, about that. Yeah, so I call myself a spotted unicorn because um, I'm a black woman and there just aren't that many of us in the work that I do. Um, and you look at statistics and the statistics, I think, paint a rosier picture because a lot of the black women, um, they're in administrative roles and we really need those people. They're they're really the lifeblood of the construction projects and keep everyone going. But where there is a severe lack is in black women in the operation side of things, doing what I do, actually on a job site, um, boots on the ground managing the construction activities. So uh, usually uh, there'd be times when I go in a room and um, people thought that they were in the wrong meeting because I was sitting at the table. Um, so uh, I kind of started calling myself this spotted unicorn because I was usually the only black person in the room. Or if there was other black, another black person in the room, I was the only female and vice versa. If there was another woman in a room, I was still the only black woman. And so I've just selectively called myself the spotted unicorn ever since I started thinking about it that way. 
Yeah, it's it's and you know, for me coming uh, as as a black man in this industry too, I can definitely empathize with with how you're feeling in that situation. And I think one of the most encouraging things is the fact that you were able to overcome that barrier. You're still able to be successful. And now I I like thinking about it from the internal side first, from the inside out. Now, a lot of times people can find themselves in the situation where they're the only person who looks like them. They only have the, they're the only person with these, uh, like this background, whatever it happens to be, for whatever reason you feel othered. And then Mm -hmm. that almost operates as like a self-fulfilling prophecy or a self-defeating prophecy where we're just kind of say, oh, I'm the only person here. People will not accept me. They will not take me seriously. And then as a result, we don't shoot our shots or we do say what we wanted to, what we want to say, but we don't say it with confidence. So we're less effective and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So Mm -hmm. internally for you, how were you able to say, yes, I'm, I'm the only person who looks like me in this room, but I still belong and I'm still going to stand up and advocate for myself and say what needs to be said. Um, I think I'll answer this two ways. So ever since I was little, as, as young as I can remember, my parents told me that I'd be the first Black president of America. So Barack Obama beat me to it, but that's okay. So I kind of came came up with this mindset that whatever room I walk into, um, that's my territory, uh, that there's nothing, no, no door that can kind of be um, kept closed for me. And I really try to live into that. Um, also, I think that I've been strategically positioned to be where I am, to be this person that is going to go before and open up the doors wider for those who come after me and for those who are here with me right now. And so, for instance, I went to SMU for college. I remember looking at a book um, of America's most uh, competitive colleges. I think it was 100 most competitive colleges. And SMU at that time, the Black population, I think, was only 500 students out of, I think, 11,000 students. So I went into that environment knowing that I'd probably be the only Black person in some of my classes, especially going into engineering. I would probably be one of the very few women. And those uh, spaces really prepared me for what I'm doing right now. So I can confidently go into any room and be the only, you know, fill in a blank. And I feel completely confident in myself and my abilities and uh, I don't really look for acceptance from other people. I know my calling. I know um, who I am and how I've gotten to where I am. And I also have a huge support system. So when when negative things do happen in that space, um, I know that there are people who are still going to back me up and support me and keep me um, motivated to to move forward. Oh, this is so good. I'm, I'm taking so many notes here. <laughs> Courtney, this is really good. So first, like you said, any any room you go into, that's your territory. Essentially, mm-hmm. you're saying I belong. Yep. I belong wherever I happen to be. I belong there. And so there's not a question for you in that situation. So that's a source of confidence. And then the next one is you have purpose because you're going into these meetings with obviously the, the professional goal, but also you recognize that your success paves the way for the success of other people. So it's bigger than you. It's not just you going in for yourself. It's you recognizing that your success leads to the success of others. And so that propels you as well. And I love that last part that you said, where you said you're not looking for acceptance for from other people. And what's really interesting is counterintuitively is that when you have that level of confidence, when you have that level of swag, where you don't need the acceptance from other people, that is attractive. That is alluring <laughs> because people recognize most people don't have that. And so what is it about this Courtney Kelly person that makes her so confident in herself? 
That's really interesting. And so it's a level of security that most people don't have, and that draws people to you. So even though you're not looking for acceptance, it makes it more likely for you to find acceptance because you've already accepted yourself first and other people follow suit when you when they see you have that level of confidence too. Yeah. And I also, I'll add to that. Sometimes people don't really want to accept me, right? I'll go into a meeting and they don't want to make eye contact. They kind of don't want to listen to my opinion. Those people eventually come around. It may take some time, but eventually they come around. So before, you know, I might go in and be like, mm, that person's not really feeling me. Like, this is going to be a problem. And I'm like, you know what? Let them keep doing whatever they're doing. Like, eventually they'll realize and they'll recognize and everybody will be on the same page. So it's kind of like dust your shoulders off a moment. Like, <laughs> it'll be all right in the end. Absolutely. And, and there's the thing, too, because I think a lot of times we can create these narratives that might not even be true, right? Because <laughs> the person might just be standoffish in general. General. They might exactly. be slow to warm in general, but exactly. I think a lot of time, if you um, are have, have have a history of being othered, whether it's race, gender, whatever it happens to be, our minds automatically go to, oh, it's because I'm black. Oh, it's because I'm a woman or something like that. It, it might be. It might not be. They, they might be having a bad day. But the thing, the reality is just going way back to what we were talking about before, when we we're talking about relationship building, it takes mm -hmm. time. The more positive interactions you have with people, the more trust you have and the more they like you, then they become your friends. Different people have a different length of time that it takes for them to warm up. And so whatever the barrier is, it might be a bias. It might be skepticism. They might be having a, a, a stomach ache that day. <laughs> we, <laughs> exactly. We, we don't know. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's I, 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 but you, but you read the room, you say, okay, they're not making eye contact with me the same way they're making eye contact with other people. I don't know what that is, but it is, it is a data point that I have logged. Great. Mm -hmm. So my relationship building approach is going to be slightly different with this person versus that person. Cause there are, this other person is already more engaged. So I'll engage with them a different way. Right. And so again, it goes back to emotional intelligence, reading the room, but being persistent and confident in yourself. And you can overcome that barrier regardless of what it is. Yep. <laughs> I love it. No, this is great. This is great. Well, listen, we are right about time um, at, at time at this point. But before you go, I want you to remind the listeners about your book and some of the exciting things you're working on and how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so my book is Celeste Saves the City. It was actually uh, just translated into French and German, so that's available now. It will soon be available in Spanish. Um, I'm almost at a thousand copies sold, so super excited about that. As a self-published author, that's like a huge accomplishment. Uh, so you can find the book anywhere the books are sold, as well as on my website, www.courtneykellybooks.com. Also on Instagram and Facebook at Courtney Kelly Books. Perfect. Courtney, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was great. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.